I have to ask you, do you think mothers can have it all? No! A lot of what mums come to me with is guilt, and that can lead to burnout. Loads of people that I work with feel guilty for resting, slowing down, putting boundaries in place when they're saying no to staff. And that's often because they're not even meeting their basic needs, rest, hydration. You know, so many people get to the end of the day and they've had like half a cup of water. But do you think that there was stigma attached to you for wanting to go back to work? Because there's definitely a stigma attached to women who stay at home as well. We hit kind of the industrial revolution where the men went off into the workforce and the women facilitated that. And it just created this culture of separation. I think we're just really starting to challenge that now. We're like, mm. why? I want to challenge you on that. Go on, bring it. Bring it. You can get resistance when you stop people pleasing and when you start saying no to stuff. Yeah. Because it's often the people that benefited from you not having any boundaries and living to please other people that suddenly it gets their backs up when you're like, you know what, can't do that, can't do this anymore, because... Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone and welcome back to Millennial Mind. I have one really quick favour to ask from all of you. If you haven't already, wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast, if you could press the follow and subscribe button, it would really mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting me on this journey here. Let's get into it because I cannot wait for you to see my new studio and my incredible guest today. Anna, hello. Hello. Welcome to Millennial Mind. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to have this chat with you. Yeah. I feel like we're just going to rant this whole time. Yeah. I'm not even a mother yet. No, I don't we can rant ahead, <laughs> just in case. But I'm really excited to have you here. I mean, we actually were on the TED Talk stage together at Warwick. We didn't meet then. But I followed you for a really, really long time. If if you scroll back to the messages, I messaged you maybe like three years ago. I've like loved all of your work. You're fantastic. But for people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a psychotherapist. So I've been a psychotherapist for like about 12, 13 years now. And I used to work in clinical settings, like okay. in private practices and GP surgeries in and around London. And then I had kids and it was just tricky to kind of fit that in around childcare. And yeah, so... I downloaded Instagram because I was moving house. Okay. And I was moving to a new build house, like a white box kind of house. And I had no idea what the heck to do with this. So I downloaded Instagram and I started looking at interior stuff because I think my mates were getting sick of me sending them screenshots of like paint colours and lamps. And I started kind of sharing a bit of this house kind of interior design process, even though I've got little 
to no interest in interior design anymore because it's yeah. done now. Um, probably needs redoing. And I remember doing an Instagram Live when they first came out. Can you remember when they literally okay. first came out? No. Well, I remember when they first came out. Cause they, <laughs> I remember when they weren't a thing. And someone said, what do you actually do for a job? Like, what, what do you actually do? And I said, I'm a psychotherapist. And they started asking me questions. You know, I, I feel a bit anxious. What can I do? Or this has gone on in my life. Or I've been feeling really low and I'm finding it hard to instill new habits. So mm. have you got any advice? So I started sharing my knowledge and my experience. And I was, I absolutely loved it. So I started writing a little bit more about mental health and it just kind of went from there. And then one day I I read in a newspaper this term psychoeducation and I was like, oh my gosh, that's literally what I do. I've taken all my learning from my kind of therapeutic knowledge and I'm just giving it to people outside of the therapy room. So that's kind of really what I do is take, I call it taking therapy outside of the therapy room, but I interweave loads of my own experience because I can be really honest about things like guilt and rage and especially loads of the things in motherhood that feel a bit taboo, like boredom, you know, overwhelm and frustration and resentment. And I can use my own experiences because I understand them, so I don't really feel shame. I love that. So that's kind of, I do that in lots of different contexts, like podcasts and writing and yeah. No, I love, I love it. And I, you know, before you came today, I was sharing a story about how I felt rage, and I just sometimes feel that speaking to somebody external is the best thing you can do. And I've, I've gone to therapy. I love it. I wish I could go every single day. <laughs> but I sometimes feel that speaking to somebody just who has no. I guess affiliation to you can be really groundbreaking in so many ways because there is just no judgment and there's no association so they can't portray their own feelings yeah and sometimes you. you just get like a little light bulb moment like what well, i remember having this amazing light bulb moment around rage and i think i speak about it in the book i've definitely written about it before and i it was in the pandemic mm-hmm. and i was standing there like cooking for the kids and they were just being you know full on and my husband was upstairs working on the laptop and i remember messaging him saying like i'm gonna blow yeah like i am done I can't deal with this anymore. And he didn't see the message. So 15 minutes later, I start, I literally just like exploded. I was like, ah, I can't even tell you. It was like carnal, like right from the core of me. And he came running down the stairs like, on his phone, on his laptop, being like, guys, sorry, I've got to go. I've got to go. And I felt so much shame. I was like, what is wrong with me? I, you know, I'm so grateful for so many of the things in my life. Like, I should have been more patient. What kind of mum am I? And then I realised that rage is often a symptom of just overwhelm, depletion, because mm. we can't regulate ourselves when we're stressed out and we're tired and we can't respond in a way that we want to. Yeah. So as soon as I started to see, like, rage and anger as a symptom of just overwhelm and depletion, you can start being a bit kinder to yourself because you're like, how, my margin's gone. Like, I'm just reacting all the time. Yeah. So what do I need? Like, what what have I run out of? How can I care for myself so that I can have a little bit more kind of margin to think rationally? So I think, yeah, you're right. Speaking to someone impartial can just give you sometimes a bit of an insight where you're like, I can be a bit yeah. kinder to myself. For sure. I love that story. I told you that. I like, yeah. That's my favourite story ever. And sometimes I just feel I want to do that in life. Yeah. Uh, I don't even have three children yet. But my point is, is that, you know, I think a lot of those emotions, guilt, rage, shame, those things you just spoke around, start from a really young age. So when I was younger, I remember feeling shame and guilt around certain things I would say. And I remember I wasn't able to perhaps express my emotions in a particular way. Now you talk around this in your book, which we have here, Raising a Happier Mother. Tell me why you wrote this book. 
So I have got so many parenting books. It it gives me a kick to buy one. I feel like a good mum when I get one through the letterbox. Half of them I haven't even read or I've read a few pages. But I feel like I'm a good parent having a bookshelf full of parenting books. Okay. But I recognise that regardless of how much of it I read... In those moments of like stress and just like overwhelm and just things just being busy, my brain can't be like, oh, what's the best way to respond here? What did I read in that book, in that chapter? What was I meant to do? I'm just like going to lose, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to shout. I'm going to respond in a way that I don't really want to. And then I'm going to feel guilty and then I'm going to feel slightly ashamed and I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, like my kids deserve better and I'll be a better mum tomorrow. And I pile the pressure on, Mm. you know? So I think this book was very much a... Actually, this is the book you read before you read all the parenting books. If you're less anxious, less burnt out, less overwhelmed, less feeling less like you've got ways to deal with guilt, you're looking after yourself well, then actually any tools that you do learn along the way with parenting, you're going to be able to access them mm-hmm. when you need them because you're not just going to explode. <laughs> so that's really, you know, all the focus is often on how can we make our kids happy? How can we make sure that they're mentally healthy? How can we... And the the real answer is, is that if you look after yourself, your kids will benefit. So true. I did a podcast with someone and she said, I'm so sick of people saying it's the baby first. It's me first and mm. then it's the baby. Yes. And she said it's a controversial opinion, but my baby will always be number two and I will always be number one. And the comment section was crazy. Everyone was like, what a lunatic. She's not going to understand because she was pregnant at the time. And she, everyone said, well, when she has the baby, they'll realize the baby's of the utmost importance. But I do have to say, I don't have a baby, right? Yeah. I'm not married. Yeah. I only have myself to look after. And I'm already struggling to do that. And I'm sure there's loads of people that are watching this who I speak to that are already going through a lot of stress, burnout, feeling anxious, feeling worried. It's all very well and good saying, let's tackle ourselves. But how do we do that? Because even when you don't have children, it's so difficult. Yeah. So when you do have children, I sometimes think, how the hell do you do it? <laughs> yeah, well, I think often I love a metaphor, a pilot metaphor, right? Okay. We might say, who is the most important person on the plane like is it the the customers you know they're they're coming on the paying customers that you know you've got literally you've got people there just making sure they've got drinks and they've making sure that everyone's happy and it's like no the most important person on the plane that we need to be worried about is the pilot because if the pilot is not okay we're all screwed and I think that's the same in motherhood is that I am the pilot in my family and if I'm like oh I'm not going to eat, I'm just going to, you know, I haven't got time to eat, I'll make the kids amazing food, but I'm just going to, like, inhale a bag of Haribo, or I'm thirsty, but actually I'm not even going to bother, I'm going to do these 10 emails first, or sometimes it's like, literally, you know, when you need a wee and you're working, and you're like, no, I'm just going to do all, and you're literally wiggling around, and it's like, are we actually even meeting our basic needs? Because if a pilot wasn't meeting their basic needs, we'd be very worried about it. For sure. Because it would impact everyone's safety and I think when it comes to not meeting our needs it can be very hard there's loads of people that I work with feel guilty for resting slowing down putting boundaries in place when they're saying no to staff and that's often because they're not even meeting their basic needs are you meeting your basic needs for rest hydration you know so many people get to the end of the day and they've had like half a cup of water it's like I mean, right is this you? That's okay, where is that water I've drunk today? Okay, you had a little bit. I had half need, glass, okay, though. That's okay. Glass, you need more. <laughs> but the thing is, your nervous system is in a state of depletion. Your body mm-hmm. is already in a state of depletion if you're not nourishing yourself well and you're not getting good sleep. 
So it's going to be harder to kind of rationalise doing some of the other nicer stuff because you haven't got the basic things in place. Mm. So I think that's somewhere important to start. One, at one point on social media, I was encouraging everyone to do like one tiny thing. Like what one tiny thing could you do for yourself each day this week? And I thought they might be like, oh, I'm going to call my friend or I'm going to do a gym class. But for some people, it was like, I'm going to have breakfast or I'm going to drink water or I'm going to make sure I brush my teeth this morning. And I'm like, these aren't acts of self-care. These are fundamental acts of self-respect. And if you don't have those in place, then of course it's going to be hard to let people support you or rest when you need to or slow down when you're feeling burnt out. So we need to get those things in place. I remember you saying, you know, I remember watching something and you said, I'm so sick of people saying having a shower is self-care. Yeah, because I used to do that. not come out of the shower and say, ooh, self-care. And they don't. No. They they absolutely, I, I also am just so tired of people saying, oh, I went for a walk today for five minutes or I had a hot cup of tea. And I'm like... Hello, like we should be doing that. We should be having a hot cup of tea. Mm. However, I also understand that some of us come from a very privileged lifestyle. And let's just think about the average person who's struggling to make ends meet, mm. whose kids are at home, they can't afford to go to nursery. How are they meant to have a hot cup of tea? How are they meant to go for a shower? My friend was telling me recently, her baby was born really early, three months early actually. Wow. And so she's had to dedicate a lot of time to him. And he doesn't sleep very much. So she said that on the days that her husband goes to work in the morning, she can't have a shower until 7pm because he doesn't really sleep. And because she's been through that traumatic experience with him, naturally she's a little bit more worried. So how do I encourage her perhaps to you know, take some time for herself? Because she already feels so guilty about what's happened and she already feels that she needs to be with him 24-7. So how does someone like her kind of, you know, adopt some of the rules that we've put in this book? Yeah, so I think sometimes it's, it, you know, if she feels guilty taking any time for herself, then she's mm. not, even if there's a tiny little window of opportunity, yep. she's probably not going to take it, is she? So I think for some people it is literally addressing where are your standards for yourself? Where is guilt playing into this? What, how can we address the guilt so that you're taking these opportunities that do arise for some people self-care is literally going beyond the i'm okay when a friend asks how you are it can be letting people letting people in letting people support you historically it's been like i don't want to burden anyone yeah with my stuff yeah you know especially if you're someone that has always been kind of the the friend that is a supportive one so actually self-care can look like putting a boundary in place it can look like not always saying yes it can look like challenging yourself to say more than yeah I'm fine thanks when a friend asks how you are you know it doesn't it's not always what we do it's it's how it's what it gives us and it might just be recognizing that perfectionism is playing a part you know you're striving for something that actually is exhausting you Mm. and taking a lot of your resources so how might you challenge yourself to cut some corners Mm. you know and or just kind of delegate or just actually say you know what I'm not going to try and cook things from scratch every day anymore there's so much ego attached to being the perfect mother yeah there's so many people that say do you know I cook for only fresh meals and I remember speaking to someone and they said you know I don't I never ever ever take anything from my parents you know I know you I know your mom drops food off for you every week but I really enjoy making that for my kids every day and I love I even make my own milk wow you know like from an almond processor oh, or whatever wow. these things are the milky plant or something oh. you know we don't eat any processed food I'm like great 
I mean, I, I don't, I don't have children, so I can't, I can't even be defensive about it. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, you're amazing, and you look great as well, and your hair's washed and fantastic. I'm going to be a hobo because yeah. I, I don't even do that, and I don't even have children. So amazing for you, but there is a lot of ego attached to parents yeah. who love to say, "I do this, this, and this, and this," and it can be really detrimental for mothers. It can be, it can be detrimental for themselves because actually, what is the standard that they're setting? How attainable is it? There is always a cost when we're pushing when we're pushing ourselves and we're driving ourselves to pursue perfect mm-hmm. and that could be for me in the past trying to just always parent brilliantly has meant that i have felt so much guilt and shame which has then meant i've not looked after myself particularly well by way of punishment or it might be that i've turned away support people saying you know i had postnatal depression after my second child because he had reflux and he screamed all the time and i had i had friends saying can we come and just take your toddler you know to give you a bit of a rest and be like no it's fine i'm fine i got it it's all good and actually it can it can be a real challenge of the as you say the ego to recognize that you can't do it all and be it all and if you try it's going to have a cost and for me that might be on a sunday night i would be in a heap on the floor in the kitchen crying Mm. you know there's always there's always a cost. So I think we've got to make sure and be very careful when we're looking at other people's lives that we might not see the cost if they seem to be living like a perfect life, but there will be one somewhere. It might be that they've got no time and energy left for their partner and their relationships kind of, you know, hanging by a thread because they're spending their whole time milking almonds. (laughs) Or honestly, I can't, I've said it before, but I think I just want to emphasize it again. As somebody who's in this industry, I cannot emphasize how much people lie. And I'm a bit naive because I genuinely am shocked at the amount of people that go online and pretend that they have a perfect life and they're unbelievably miserable. Mm. Genuinely, I met someone the other day and I had this perception of them that they had a perfect life. In fact, I remember looking at their life and thinking, wow, I'm so jealous. I met them and they had told me that it was all a facade. It was all a facade. There were so many elements of their life that they openly said, we did it for show. Wow. And it was a shock. I genuinely felt so shocked to my core because the more you're on social media, the more you actually believe it. And there's people online that will look like they've got their hair done and they've got the nice clothes on and you have no idea that behind that they're crying their eyes out and they don't have time for their relationship. They perhaps aren't looking after themselves. They perhaps are starving themselves because they've got so much pressure to have this perfect body after being a mother, after just, you know, sorry, giving birth. And you probably look at them thinking, wow, they look so amazing and they look so great. And look, they've managed to get dressed today and I haven't washed my hair in a week. They might have somebody who's come and given them a blow dry. Oh, that's You it. just don't you know. You don't know. And, that's, I think, and they're not going to tell you that. No. There's people who, you know, I recently <laughs> followed someone and they said, sorry, guys, I've just been really busy for the last week. They were on holiday. Oh, lovely. But they didn't tell anyone. Oh. Why? Yeah. Why are you not going to tell anyone? You're going to say you've been working really hard for the last week and make someone else feel really shit? Mm. People lie all the time. But it's like double responsibility, isn't it? It's like those people, and I know this for sure, will feel like imposters in their own lives. Yeah. Just like imposter syndrome. Yeah. You can feel like an imposter in your own life because you know that you're portraying something that isn't authentic. Mm. And then there's this kind of like dissonance that we know that the way everyone is seeing and responding Mm. isn't actually authentic to how you are. So it really impacts relationships. For sure. Because you think, 
well, everyone's just responding to a version of me that I know in my heart isn't real. Mm. So it's exhausting and it's destructive. And it doesn't, as you say, that person is miserable. It doesn't create happiness. So we have to we have to take responsibility for ourselves to remember that what we see is just a snapshot. Yeah. It's our brains are hardwired to believe what we see, which I think is why social media can be so tricky because we just believe what we see is there. Yeah. It's very exhausting to constantly remind yourself that what you're seeing is a tiny snapshot. But on the other hand, I think to be authentic ourselves and to make sure there are people in our lives who totally get where we're at and how we're feeling and that we're not. You know, I, I literally wear my heart on my sleeve, but I had to go on Instagram today and remind people. So seven weeks ago, we went through a massive trauma family, mm. lots of grief. I was in survival mode for like four weeks, could barely function, told everyone on Instagram, like, I've just I've just cleaned the floor for the first time in four weeks without like crying, mm. you know, and I was very open about the fact that I was in that mode. Now I'm kind of moved through that post-trauma phase and I am probably looked to social media that I'm just back doing normal things Correct. and I'm like, okay. I said today, I was like, don't forget that I am still crying. I am still sad. Just yeah. because it looks like I'm doing normal things doesn't mean that I'm always smiling and always happy. I still get kind of waves of grief. Of course. But we can't always remind each other that all the time, can Exactly. We? Because then you're constantly complaining online. Oh, yeah. just to let you know, I'm struggling every day. Yeah. Just to let you know. But we have to take responsibility for ourselves to be authentic mm. as much as we, you know, we don't all have to be authentic online. But, you know, if you're going to portray a certain version of yourself that doesn't feel real, you're not going to feel good about that. So true. But the responsibility of, of recognising that what we see and reminding ourselves is just... It's just a front of house. It's the front cover of a book we've never read. Correct. And that's that's it. But it's also really also very difficult to ask people to share every moment of their lives because you, you physically cannot, even if you're on social media for every hour of every day, you still can't share every single second and every emotion and every thought and every... It wouldn't be healthy. Exactly. So I think there's a balance of those two things. But I have to ask you, do you think mothers can have it all? No. There's this image that we can. And what, what, what is all anyway? Because life is messy and complicated and multi-layered and we get it wrong all the time. And it's just, you know, no. What What is it all anyway? And where's the standard for that? Like, what does that mean to people? And I think a lot of what I've spoken about in the book is, you know, this perfect, the fantasy mother mm-hmm. that we have in our heads. I believed, because my mum worked all my childhood, she was the main earner in our family. My dad always worked as well, but we were mostly reliant on her income. And I thought, when I I grow up, when I become a mum, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mum. And that's what I want to do. Um, I want to be there for my kids and my husband. I'll have this kind of classic, like, traditional. Anyway. I have to pause you there. Sorry. Why why did you want that? I don't know, because it was just what I'd seen other friends have maybe their their parents live a more kind of my dad did shift work Got we it. went we had to be really quiet like on a Saturday morning until like four o'clock in the afternoon my mum was just constantly kind of like dropping us off then going to work and then come back and then you know she'd be working at weekends and stuff so I just thought I want to be at home anyway did it for like a year I was bored out of my mind and I, and I honestly thought that this is what I wanted for my life was that I was going to be the stay-at-home mum. Anyway, I I just felt really low and I realised that what I was missing was work. <laughs> so, 
I went back to work and I didn't actually take maternity leave after my third child because I was loving, I was writing a book and I was loving it. And, you know, I just think that fantasy that we have of ourselves in any area of our life, Mm. you know, not necessarily just motherhood, is that sometimes we need to just have a good look at that and think, is this actually realistic? Is this actually really in line with what I like and what I want? Or is this somehow a mishmash of what I feel I should be doing or what is expected of me or Mm. yeah it's quite freeing interestingly I've had a lot of people that are recently coming up on my feed and saying staying at home isn't easy and there's a lot of judgment of people saying and I'm not saying you said this in that way you were personally bored I think I would personally get bored Mm. but I am not in that position so I don't know but I've actually said I never want to be a stay-at-home mum and people are always quick to say you're going to change your mind when you have children You don't know. There's so much to do all the time. And no one's saying it's an easy job. But do you think that there was stigma attached to you for wanting to go back to work? Because there's definitely a stigma attached to women who stay at home as well. Yeah, I mean, I've never never gone back full time. So I've just been working part time because the kids, it's just, my husband works long hours. So, you know, the pickups and drop offs and nursery and things like this. So I've kind of, I'm self-employed. So I've worked at home. Yeah. So that's been particularly helpful. But I just think there's judgment either way. I remember deciding I wanted to get some childcare and go to work. And I was worried about telling my mum. I don't even know why. Maybe I'd assume that she thought that I would be a stay-at-home mum and that I would disappoint her somehow. So I think sometimes it's just, what are we worried about? Some someone might judge me for working a lot. Someone might judge me for not working more. Someone might judge me. You know, it's sometimes we just need to put the blinkers on and think. Wait a minute, what's right for me? It's never ending because if we're if we're happy, like I, I often say this, like we as mums, we love seeing our kids happy. You know, seeing the sparkle in their eye, like when they're just enjoying stuff. But actually, it is far more powerful for them to see us fulfilled. It's Carl Jung that said, you know, one of the ba- greatest burdens on a child is the unlived life of the parent. And that just really struck me because I think so often as mothers, as parents, we can put so much of ourselves aside mm-hmm. to be mums. And I used to think that that's what good motherhood was. It's like you completely sacrifice yourself. Yes. And you just, you, everything is about your children. And I, I wasn't happy. I lost the sparkle in my eye because I wasn't doing the things that fulfilled me and made me happy. I wasn't using my passions and mm. seeking my purpose. And my kids are going to benefit so much more. Like when I come back tomorrow after my book launch tonight and this chat today, I'm going to be like buzzing and they're yeah. going to see me alive, you know. And it's for me, it's a mixture of the two. But I think, you know, we owe it to ourselves as people and as mums to continue to embrace who we are and what we're about beyond becoming mums. And I think there's such a distinction between our parents' generation and our generation because the women in our parents' generation weren't told to find their strengths and to focus on their passions and perhaps to figure out what makes them happy. And so when people say, well, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, my mum just looked after us and she was happy doing that. And I'm like, that's great for her because, you know, that worked for her. But perhaps did she have the opportunity to figure out what she was good at? Mm -hmm. Did she have the opportunity to go out and work and see where her skills lie? Perhaps she didn't. 
And therefore, she was okay with doing that. But what we're seeing now is we're raising children now to everyone's educated, everyone goes to school, everyone has the opportunity to go to university or do an apprenticeship. And therefore, they have that opportunity to dream. And so then to just say to them, well, cut your dream and just stay at home. It's harder for a lot of people to make that decision. A lot of people still make that decision. And that's something they want to do. But this idea of women should be the primary caregivers is sometimes what gets to me. Mm. And I don't know if I'm being naive, because the the more people I speak to say that women have more of an intuition and women are better primary caregivers than men. Is that? Do you think that's true? I don't think that's as true as we believe it to be true. And I think our children benefit. And I think this... I've, I've done some research into it. There are people that would say so much more helpful and insightful stuff than me on this. But it can go back to the Industrial Revolution where parenting was quite community-based. You know, people would be working on the farm. Women would be working on the farm. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily know whose kids were who because everyone just kind of lumped in together and there would be multi-generations. And then we hit kind of the Industrial Revolution where the men went off into the workforce and the women facilitated that. And it just created this culture of, the, of separation. And actually to, to enable that to happen, we had to believe, people had to believe that that was the right thing, that that's where women, that was the right role for women to play. And I actually, I think we're just really starting to challenge that now. We're like, mm. well, why? You know, ch- our children benefit from multiple caregivers. So my parents are two hours away. Uh, my husband's parents are an hour away. So everyone's just more scattered around now. Mm. Whereas I think there would be so, like they say motherhood takes a village. It literally would have taken a village. It would have taken loads of different input. Whereas now I feel like often our families are like little islands in our in our homes, you know, and we just try and do it all within the home. And it can be hard to accept support and help. And I just think, you know, this is probably one of the things that is feeding into postnatal depression and and loneliness so much loneliness in motherhood and so much burnout so much overwhelm and anxiety and I think a huge reason for that is that we've just created our own little islands and the whole Mm. community feeling has just been broken down over the years and this whole like I've got this don't worry about me is chipping away at who we are it's also ingrained in us in so many different ways. I have this idea of when I'm a mum, I want to look nice. And that, I'm not a mum, by the way, but it's really funny. And it's because I constantly have seen on magazines, look how great this mum looks. Look how nice she looks when she's breastfeeding her child. Look how nice she looks when she goes shopping. Mm. And it's really funny because when I moved into London, I also have this idea of when I run my errands, I'm going to look really cool. I literally, honestly look homeless <laughs> to the point where Aww. I think somebody once double took me because I genuinely look that bad because I'm tired and I'm busy. And we, ha- I, 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 the other day I was laughing so much because I th- when I went to go and get my coffee, I thought, gosh, I thought I'd be dressed in a nice tracksuit and my hair would look nice and fine, I would wear no makeup. But, you know, I would still look presentable. And there I am in mismatched socks like pink socks, grey tracksuit bottoms, my hoodie over my hair because I'm so cold and I just look awful. And I and it made me laugh because I thought, gosh, when I'm a mum, I'm absolutely never going to look nice. And these magazines that you see of people in street style, I don't look like that now. So when I have a baby, what am I going to look like? And it's so funny that all of these messages that we get from when we're younger through TV, through society, through what we see from our parents, what we see from our family friends, 
we believe that to be mm. true yeah. as, as it happens every day. Yeah. And it's just not. And I oh. think that the, my next question is around this idea of women having it all and they have to choose between having a career and children. People say that you cannot have a successful career if you want to have children. And you know what? You shouldn't be allowed to because motherhood is a choice. I just think it has to be down to the individual and it it's a real it can be a real juggle for years yeah. if you're wanting to kind of further your career and then you know childcare can end up being this kind of patchwork of like breakfast clubs and school and you know and then what the heck happens over the holidays it's a yeah. real it is a real juggle and often that can fall down to the mother like my husband's job has never changed really throughout the whole kind of eight, nine years of parenting, whereas mine has like drastically changed around about. But why is that? Did you make a decision on that together? Yeah, we did. That was a decision that we made. And I've got some friends whose husbands, you know, they are the ones that have the more flexible working. But it is, it's a massive thing to have children and you can't, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real juggle. Mm. But I think if you're determined and you're passionate and it gives you life, then find you know just try and find ways to for to outlet that a lot of people might be watching this and they might be thinking okay well we want to have children mm. but we don't know how to share the responsibility because i as a mother don't want to have that responsibility and i feel guilty for raising that conversation with my partner am i a bad mother if no. i don't want to take full 100% responsibility no. and how do i tackle that i think should having kids ever be the fully the full responsibility of the mother like my kids are 50 percent, my husband's too yeah and I remember there were significant times in motherhood at the beginning where I wouldn't I felt like a failure if he got up with the baby in the night because I was like this is my job I should be doing it all really and I think sometimes we just have to really challenge all of those belief systems wherever they might have come from whatever might be fueling them and think what is right for me what is healthy for me and i i remember there was one night the baby had been screaming all night my husband slept in a different room i told him to because i was just such a mess i was like i can't let him see me in such a state and i remember going upstairs and saying to him you've got to come down because i'm not okay and the baby is just and it was a real moment of actually i am not built to do it all. No. And no, none of us are. Mm. And I think one of the most freeing things that, that you can ever say, because I think we often get told like, oh, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this, you're strong. It's like, wait a minute, I, I have limits. I have limited resources, limited energy, limited patience, limited time, and I need other people. Whatever that looks like, whether it's childcare, whether it's more support from your partner, your family, whatever it looks like, the whole I've got this is yeah it's not it's just not helpful i want to challenge you on that go on bring it bring it i want to challenge you on that because i agree with you by the way i just want to say yeah i'm on your team yeah before we get into this okay. like, battle yeah i'm on your team what i want to say though is i've heard someone say just get on with it in fact actually i'm not going to sugarcoat this my family's motto in life is just get on with it mm. we did it mm -hmm. we had less money than you we had less resources than you if we could do it why can't you is what they yeah. i think they would say to me if i went back and said that so i think we are under so much more pressure than our parents were 
Okay. My mum and I have had extensive conversations about this. In fact, there was a whole chapter. I wrote a book called Mind Over Mother all about like postnatal worry and anxiety. And there's a whole chapter on how life is different for us now than it was in her generation. So she would be like, why are you all so anxious? Yeah. You're all worried about everything. We never worried so much. Yeah. We'd just be like, oh, it'll probably be all right. And if it wasn't, we might speak to a doctor or we might speak to an aunt or a friend. And we just never lay awake worrying about the things that you worry about. I think the the pressure to do it all, to do everything so quickly, you know, social media and all that that adds to it, the cost of living, the childcare crisis, you know, the cost of childcare. I just think there is so much pressure and expectation upon us that it. I just think it's harder. You know, even the way that we're living, we live faster, we move faster, we breathe faster, we run, we, you know, everything we do is how much can we fit in? How productive can we be? And our pace of life has sped up so much. Our nervous systems are like constantly like partially fried and frazzled. We're not resting. There aren't as many opportunities to rest. I sat down on the sofa the other day and I was scrolling on my phone. Right, I was like, oh, lazy, like just, just taking a moment for myself. I've got a Garmin watch. Tells me about whether like you're stressed or resting. And it showed mild stress. And I was like, I'm literally lying on the sofa scrolling Instagram. Wow. So I thought, right, I'm just going to do a little, a little bit of research here. Got my Kindle. <laughs> read like my book for 10 minutes. Showed rest. Okay. And the thing about this is we are consuming more information than our parents ever did. They might read a newspaper, watch the news at a certain point of the day. Can you remember when TV just wasn't even on till a certain point in the morning? Like there would be no kids shows, just a picture of a clown face. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm older than you. Um, But the amount of the information that we're constantly trying to process, our brains, if we're scrolling, our brain, we're on edge because we don't know. We might see a traumatic photo. So true. We might see a, a sad pet. Something's going to trigger us at one point. We don't know. We're literally like, could this make me happy or could it make me anxious or could it feed into my trauma? And our brains are trying to kind of process all of this information. It has to work out. Do I need to know this or am I going to store this? So our lifestyle is exhausting. So when we're saying just get on with it, we did, it's overlooking how different our culture and the demands on us are now. And yes, I know sometimes we have to keep pushing on. We just have to, you know, survive. But ultimately, there's always a cost. Yeah. Like, that's when burnout happens, is when we push beyond the limits of our resources, like, chronically. And when people say that, I always explain that there's this theory of, you know, everyone is different in terms of how much that they can cope with. So congratulations, you are stronger than me. I'm feeling exhausted yeah, and I'm really struggling to keep it together. And it's your solution to tell me, well, I did it so you can. Yeah. Because I remember seeing this analogy and it was like, everyone's a plate. Some plates are plastic. Some plates are made with uh, ceramic. Some plates are made with paper. And sometimes that paper plate can't hold as much. This is such a good analogy. As the ceramic plate. It's true. Right? Yes. And you're looking at me as a plate. I'm weaker and I'm different and it's okay and I can't take as much as you. And so don't just come come at me and say, get on with it because I did. Because there's loads of things that I probably can do that you can't. Absolutely. And I think that that's this comparison culture that we we have amongst everyone, but especially amongst mothers. And I've heard it so many times in terms of, you know, we had a lot less resources than you, so you should be able to do it. You have a lot of access to information, which we never did, so you should be able to do it. But that can fuel anxiety, can't it? Because I don't know about you, the more I read... 
the more I'm just like, oh, I didn't know that that illness existed. Now I'm going to be scared that someone's going to die of that exactly. in my family. Exactly. And it's we're overloaded. Too much. Yeah. It, it is too much. And knowledge is power unless you're overwhelmed by it, mm. which I think it's coming at us all the time, whether we're asking for it or not. And I think I love that plate analogy. And also the fact that whatever we've been through in life, whatever we've been taught, whatever we've been exposed to, all of that adds to what we can withstand. So true. So we're not on an even playing field. No. I might have had, I got woken up last night at half past two by my son. He had a nightmare and then he wouldn't flip and go back to sleep. And then my brain switched on. Of course. Because, you know, that's what happens. And then I was like, and then it started raining. So I had way less sleep than I had the night before. So today I've got different capacity than I had yesterday. So even to expect the same from ourselves each day, like we're kind of this linear thing that we, you know, we have the same resources every morning we wake up. Like we're not robots. Mm. Like the expectations we put upon ourselves and each other. It's just, yeah. And I always feel like I hear people say, oh gosh, she's a bit of a mess, isn't she? I honestly find it like genuinely alarming when people say that because I just think that instead of looking at someone and saying, gosh, you know, they might be going through a really difficult time right now. Can I help them? You're saying that they look like a mess. And I remember someone actually once saying that, you know, she always looks like a mess. Husband always looks great. Wow. And I'm like, it's it's honestly... It's just so unhelpful, isn't it? And it's lacking such compassion. It's so judgmental. And really what we do when we do that is like you're just trying to make yourself feel better. And you're using other people as leverage. Yeah, so true. And I I have to ask you, this book, Raising a Happier Mother, why am I not seeing any books around Raising a Happier Father? Why is everything about parenting Uh, all on the mother? I mean, I'm sure there's probably books around fatherhood. I haven't done the research into it. But generally... There, like you said, out of all the parenting books you have on your shelf, how many of them are written by men? Yeah, I mean, there are a few, but not not many. You could have just said none, you know. Just well, like I think there are a few, <laughs> but more more kind of like psychologists and psychiatrists <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like researchers. Yeah. But I mean, I would love it. And I often get asked, <laughs> yeah. is there someone who does what you do for men? Yeah. Because I think I, because I'm a mum, and I speak very openly and honestly about certain aspects of motherhood from my own experience. That's why I write for mums. Of course, it's your, and this is what but I say to people as well. I'd love it if there was one. Yeah. Raising a happier father, please. Yes, I'll buy it for my for my husband. Well, I think it's the same thing. Obviously, you're going to speak about your own experience. People yeah. say that to me as well. Why don't you talk about men's mental health as much and the pressures that are on men? And I always say, well, I'm not a man. And there's already enough women out there telling women what men want. And there's already enough men out there telling women what men want. And I'm just sick of it I'm, I'm not here to tell you what men want I don't know I'm, I'm not an encyclopedia that knows the answer to everything and I'm not going to be here telling you what women should be doing because each woman is different I'm just going to be telling you my experience yeah. and what I think that I wish I'd known previously and I think when people read this book you've, that your, your kind of note underneath is how to find balance yeah please tell me how oh. do I find balance do you know what I, I honestly think we won't ever really find it so it sounds like a bit of a con but it's one of those things that is always good to seek because we always need to be challenging am I getting enough social input am I speaking to friends enough am I getting enough rest am I getting enough all of these things and the answer is probably no Mm. but if we don't ask that question we're not going to make changes so there have been moments in my life where I'm like oh this is good balance 
And then it's something's toppled. Someone's got ill, a big job's come in, I've missed a deadline, there's something's broken in the house. And it's, you know, that, that balance is so momentary, then it's all tipped. But I think we need to seek it because we need to be monitoring, you know, what, what, in what area of my life am I depleted and what area am I lacking so that you're trying to kind of just constantly just tweak things or put in fresh boundaries or sure. otherwise, how can we look after ourselves? So find, finding balance... Are we ever going to find it? Does it ever really exist? Meh, not for long, but it's 100% worth seeking Yeah. Um, regardless. I was coaching someone the other day and I break things down into your career, your health, your relationships and your hobbies. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, like, let's write your goals down for the next three months. She said, I don't need to focus on anything. I just want to focus on my career. Huh. And I said... You, your your primary focus can be on your career, but let's write something down. In fact, don't tell me. You do it in your own time. She said, there's nothing I want to focus on in my relationships. There's nothing I want to focus on in my hobbies. And there's nothing I want to focus on in terms of my health, apart from losing weight. Like, you know, how, how ironic, right? Obviously, everyone's goal in life is always to put on weight or lose weight. Everything's always centered around weight. And I said, okay, well, you know, your health could be something else. And let's, you know, think about other things. She just refused. And it really shocked me because I realized that we are sold this narrative of I should only be focusing on my work or I should only be focusing on my health and my social life will just come and go. But when you're setting your goals, you have to remember that you will need to see your friends once in a while. You will need to perhaps go and see your parents. You know, you will need to foster your relationship or if you want to date, you need to assign time to that. And almost when you're setting your goals, you don't see it as a goal. But you should see it as a goal because it's something that you need to constantly work on. Mm. And this idea, I think, comes from guilt. And guilt is something I've spoken about a lot, but I can't sometimes seem to get rid of it. And I was telling you previously, when I react and I get annoyed at somebody, I feel guilty. But yesterday when I was very calm and I said things nicely, now I feel angry (laughs) at myself for not, you know, showing that person, you know, Mm. where they should actually be standing. You know, I should actually be telling them, you can't say say that to me. How on earth do we get rid of guilt? Oh, I've got a good tip for guilt. I've got I've got a really good tip for guilt. But I just want to say something on balance. Yeah. You know, that that client of yours that was just going to be all about work. Yeah. One, that's where everything's going on work. Her health will suffer, right? Hundred percent. And her relationships will suffer. Hundred percent. And if your health's suffering, what's going to suffer? Your work. So true. If your relationships are suffering, what's going to suffer? Your work. Yeah. So I just think you know this is it's important to seek balance even if we're never going to find it because everything feeds if i if my whole focus is on being an amazing mother mm. and i let go of health and i let go of work and i let go my motherhood's going to suffer because i'm going to resent my kids for the fact that i never have anything for myself ever mm. i'm going to my health is going to suffer because perhaps i just never sit down yeah. because i could easily just never sit down with them because they freaking never sit down um so i think yeah, and guilt can feed into that. And my tip for guilt, so I, I created a whole tip for guilt because I was sick of feeling guilty and it was in the pandemic and there were another bazillion reasons to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And it's called the ACT technique. So it's called, so it's three steps, ACT, address, compassion, tweak. So with your example, should we use your example? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what, what do you feel guilty about? I often feel guilty that, okay, let's use an example when I've got annoyed. Okay. I've set a boundary. How about that? Yeah. I've I've felt that. Okay. Recently, somebody asked me when I'm getting married for the three billionth thousandth time. And I was very patient the first few times. The last time I said, can we please stop talking about this? Uh, There's other things I'm doing more importantly in my life. Okay. And the next day it was feedback that I snapped at them. 
and they bit my head off and they're trying to help. And did you feel guilty? Yeah. Okay, so address is is naming it. So that's just exactly what you've done. So holding it in your hand and saying, what do I feel guilty about? I feel guilty because I snapped. And that's why I feel guilty. Well, I okay. didn't snap, actually. I was just firm. But I you were firm? But I guilty for making that person upset. They felt, the, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I feel guilty for making that person upset because I put a boundary down. I was like, mm. I've got more important things going on in my life, actually. Right. And now I feel guilty. So you've addressed it, named it. C is compassion. Compassion is so important because if we don't introduce compassion, we're just going to sit in the guilt. We're going to start feeling shamed. I'm a bad person. Why can I never respond right? Why do people not respect my boundaries? And we just start shaming ourselves and then we get stuck. So how can we introduce some compassion into the situation for you? We might say, of course, it's going to be flipping annoying yeah. when people are just at you all the time. Yeah, that's five times that day. Yeah, and they're forcing their expectations on you. Yeah. They're not coming, they're not exploring like what else is going on in your life exactly. that might be interesting yeah. or what else you're passionate about or what else you're focusing on. Like, that's that's not... It's not really very thoughtful, Mm. is it? So we can introduce some compassion. Sure, you're going to have a limit of how many times can you respond Mm -hmm. when someone asks you the same question. So that's compassion. You know, you're human. Mm -hmm. It was a bit much. They should have, yeah. Just shut up. Take a minute and stop. (laughs) And then the T is the tweak. So if, if guilt is there to prompt you to do something and not shame you, what might it prompt you to do? So what might you do off the back of that? You might say to them if they if your feed if their feedback to you was like or you were a bit like harsh on them. Correct. You might say, you know what? I understand why you might say that, but to be honest, I found it really frustrating that you kept asking me the same question. I was really upset. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just how can I act from that place of guilt so that I don't need to feel guilty anymore? So you might have a conversation with them, then you've acted on it. And, you know, I might do this if I shout at the kids, say I might feel really guilty and I might be like, right, address A, I shout at the kids, feel really guilty. Should have been a bit calmer. C, compassion. How can I introduce compassion? Absolutely frazzled. I've had a full full week. Like, they've been so full on. I have my limits. You know, it's going to happen. T, the tweak. Okay, what can I do off the back of it? Do you know what? I'm going to see if I can get some time for myself this weekend. Mm -hmm. See a friend, have a rant, just you know, resource myself a little bit more off the back of that. Mm-hmm. Done. Don't need to feel guilty anymore. I love that. So powerful. And actually, the tweak bit is my favourite mm. part because it's kind of that self-reflection bit of, can I change anything? And I love that, that personal responsibility to say, what is it that I can do differently? And then if they continue to be like that, then I'm not going to feel guilty because I've yeah. actually reflected on what I can do. It's really interesting, though, because... I want to go back to talking about the split between motherhood and fatherhood. Yeah. Right? And does your husband ever feel guilty or really overwhelmed with the kids and feel like he can't do anything about it? I don't think to the same extent because of the way that our lives mapped out and that he's not at home as much. Right. Um, But I definitely think when he's around the kids, because he's quite hands-on, he Mm. will have some of those feelings. But I think because I have them a lot more, they wear me down more. Yeah. You know, and I spend more time around them. So I have less resources. (laughs) So I don't think he struggles with guilt in the same way that I do, Mm. to the same extent. But it seems like you're quite open enough to tell him, you know, this book, Raising a Happier Mother, some men might find it quite offensive. Do you know what I mean? Like husbands might say, you know, well, that's your job. That's yeah. what that's your role. So why why is it that I have to you know make sure you're happy because you should know how to do it and it's it's your job. Does, does that? Yeah. I'm just trying to give it a different perspective. Yeah. Because yeah. 
we do honestly I realized honest just generally from doing this podcast is how delusional some people are mm. really honestly I, why don't I, we deserve to be happy this is my genuinely I did a podcast all it was was is changing your surname outdated and the comment section is absolutely wild with people saying well screw you then you can't get a diamond ring I'm signing a prenup if you don't want to take my name how dare you think that this is about the patriarch they've just they've just gone wild and I know when we do this there's going to be people saying that well you know if you've chosen to be a stay-at-home mom then that's your choice and so why is it that I have to give you ways to be happy what about ways to make me feel happy because mm. I'm going out there and earning all the money or I'm going out there and working really hard yeah so this is, so I've got loads of examples from lots of different mums in in the book people that are staying at home, people that are homeschooling, people that are working all hours of the day. Yeah. Like, so it's not just, it's definitely not yeah. a book for stay-at-home mums. <laughs> but I think what the book is saying is that why do we just accept that motherhood means to be anxious and worried all the time, yeah. to feel guilty all the time, to feel frazzled all the time, to feel you know burnt out, to not rest? Why are we just accepting that that's just what motherhood is and I'm like no we have higher we we want more for our children mm. so we deserve more mm. you know rest doesn't stop when you grow up mm. like my kids I encourage them to rest I encourage them to get good food I encourage them to play and slow down and you know meet their needs like but we need that too there's so many stats I'm sure you must have this in the book around how the way you in which you behave is the way your children will behave. Mm. Do you have any interesting stats on that? Well, it's just, it's modelling, isn't it? Mm. Like Your parents can say what they want, but ultimately you're going to learn from what you see mm. because they're modelling what it is to be a grown-up, what it is to navigate the world. And I get so many mums saying to me, how do I not pass my anxiety on to my child? Yes. How do I not pass my people-pleasing? How do I not pass this on? And I'm like... Do you know what the most amazing way you cannot pass your anxiety onto your child is to address it in Correct. yourself? Because also you deserve to address it in yourself. Why are we always thinking I want my child to be happier? Yeah. They're gonna be happier if you're if you're you know, if they're not gonna be a ball of anxiety if you address your anxiety. Mm. So we deserve that for ourselves. You always hear mum saying, you know, I never want my child to be a pushover because I always was one. How do you expect them not to be a pushover if you're the one that's never shown them that they can yeah. set any boundaries? Yeah. And also there's this narrative of you're the good wife, you're the good girl, if you don't actually speak up. Mm, I challenge that a lot now. Right? Oh, I used to be like that. How? How do you challenge it? You just start thinking, wait a minute, your voice is as valuable as anyone else's. Mm. You have as much right to take up space in this world as anyone else. Yeah. And I think we just have to start challenging where we are trying to keep ourselves small like where in motherhood am I not being a, a lioness like and being protective and placing my boundaries down and being like actually no that's not okay for me or I don't want you to help parent my kid in that way or you know your child shouldn't have done that or it's like find your voice in life place your boundaries because other people will and often yeah we get resistance you can get resistance when you stop people pleasing and when you start saying no to stuff yeah. Because it's often the people that benefited from you not having any boundaries and living to please other people Correct. that suddenly it gets their backs up when you're like, you know what, I can't do that. Mm. I can't do this anymore because 
we want our kids to grow up believing that they have worth and value. Yeah. But if we are living a life where we are valuing ourselves less and seeing ourselves as less worthy of space and love and need meeting and rest and attention and affection and all of these things than other people, then what are we showing our kids? So as a psychotherapist, Mm -hmm. you must have a lot of mothers that have come to you. Oh, yeah. And what's the number one thing that they come to you for? What's kind of the common theme that they're always seeking advice from me from? Just is that there's been a lot of guilt around emotion. Like this expectation that once you have a child, you should always feel grateful and happy and patient and loving and you should never feel bored or resentful or just frustrated or missing your old life or overwhelmed that that's somehow like there's a whole spectrum of human emotion that you kind of leave in the maternity unit when you walk out with your baby. And I remember that. I felt like that. You know, if I felt sad or overwhelmed or just trying to be like, oh, my gosh, what's happened to my life? And then I'd think, how dare I? I'm so lucky. I'm so, I should be so grateful. Mm. And it's this the pressure that we can place on ourselves and the judgment we can have towards ourselves when we feel just really normal human responses to our circumstances. It's hard because it's hard. It's tiring because it's tiring. Those things don't mean you love your kid less. It just means you're a human navigating a like a full-on human situation so I think a lot of what mums come to me with is guilt and that can lead to burnout because often when we're when we're cross with ourselves what do we 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 try harder Mm. we try to be better and then we might stop doing the things that actually feed and fuel us Mm. um, because we think oh no I just need to try harder and the standards just get nudged higher and higher and higher and it creates burnout and anxiety and just a loss of identity and I think that setting boundaries and what you just said in terms of figuring those things out are really important. My cousins just now, they have had a baby and she's, I think, around seven months and they are really strict with her sleep schedule. And they said yesterday, you know, everyone thinks we're woke parents, but we're doing it for us because our life is easier and we love her the most. But we also love ourselves and they, they I'm sure everyone has moments where they think oh my gosh you know my friends are doing this and you know everyone's going on holiday now and I'm stuck you know with my kid and it's three months that's okay to feel jealous mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. it's okay to say I'm finding it really hard that all my friends and one of my friends said this to me she said I'm finding it really hard because all my friends are you know hanging out at rooftop bars on the weekend and I'm you know with my baby and yeah. I love my baby yeah but I feel really upset that I'm not in that stage of my life because I've just had to let it go overnight. Yep. And it's often often it's so scary to just cut that person. Sorry, often it's so scary to just think that you can never miss your old life. I just think you can miss your old life. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's I fine. love but no one I love the word it. and. It's like mm. I feel overwhelmed or I feel like I miss my old life. And then we say, but I'm so grateful for having my baby. I'm so, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's like, suddenly we're like, we're kind of like bashing ourselves for that initial feeling. And I always say, instead of the word, but I feel like I miss my old life, but I'm so grateful. Use the word and. Yeah. I feel I'm missing my old life and I'm so grateful. Yeah. And it's okay that that's hard. And the wonderful thing is that you start seeing the wood for the trees. Like we went on holiday last year and I remember my three kids were playing in the pool and I like read a book. And I was sat in the sunshine reading a book and they were just playing happily. And I was like, I never thought this would happen. Yeah, I'm getting to do things that make me happy. And there's more time and space that kind of starts expanding. But it's okay Mm. to feel jealous sometimes when you see your mates doing stuff that you wish you were doing. 
And find little ways, if you can, to get little glimpses of that or little bits of that, the mm. things that you enjoy in your life, even if it's just, say, you used to love doing hour-long yoga sessions or, you know, just can you do five minutes? You know, how can you try and do tiny little things that nod to who you are mm. and keep in touch with who you are so you're not just totally letting these things go? Because there will come a time in life when you can start re-engaging in those things again and you will see the wood for the trees. Mm. Yeah. In, interestingly enough, I think one of those things you just said around being grateful, it's really difficult when you're a new parent and you're the first one in your group mm. and someone else is trying for a baby and they say, well, at least you've got a baby. So you should be so grateful because there's millions of people out there in the world who can't have a baby. Yep. And that internal guilt of constantly having to feel grateful and constantly having to feel lucky, I think I've, I've heard it from so many people before, which is why I understand it. And I feel that with doing what I'm doing now, I constantly feel bad if I say it's hard and it's difficult, which it is really hard and difficult because people are like, well, you should feel grateful because aren't you happy you left your corporate job? And I'm like, yes, of course I am. It doesn't mean that I find it it's really both. hard it's every both. single day and, it doesn't yeah. have to be either yeah. or it's both and yeah. and we are a society who are very polarized in our views we yeah. want we want to say i'm living the dream life and i've quit my job to pursue my passion and everything's amazing or it's i'm stuck in the corporate grind and i hate it you can't be a mother and you find it really both. difficult absolutely and also love being a mother yeah. and also you can be a mother and find it really challenging with dealing with so many th different things and also just love your baby more than anything else in the yeah. whole world absolutely so I think that balance of both is really really important but you know I, I, I could speak to you for hours I mean ah. you know I'm, oh, God you forbid too. when I'm a mum and I'm going to call uh, you being like help me but free. if there's somebody at home who's struggling right now mm. with transitioning and giving themselves that time because they feel like they should be hands-on 24-7, what are the first few steps that they can take to kind of just let go a little bit? I just think, what is the expectation that you're placing upon yourself? How mm. realistic is that? Is that what you would encourage someone, another friend of yours, if they became a mum, to, like, you need to be with your baby 24-7? Or would you yeah. want to be like, wait a minute, what do you used to love? What used to give you a sparkle in your eye? How can we do a little bit of that for you? Mm. And sometimes it can be... It can be the fact that we just find it really hard to ask for or accept help. Yeah. So maybe it is possible that there is someone around you in your life who could just step in and take the baby for an hour or two whilst you did something. Mm. You know, that can be really, really hard to ask for or accept. But know that as you challenge yourself to do it, you'll start recognising what those things give you. And it gives you more resource to essentially feel a bit more like yourself and you're probably going to be a better parent for it. So it's yeah. feeling the guilt and doing it anyway and looking around, thinking, who is my support network? Am I saying I don't need their help when actually I could probably, even though I find it uncomfortable, I mm. could probably push myself out of my comfort zone and accept for or ask for it. And even if it's 20 minutes. Yeah. Just spend that 20 have minutes. I'd like, bath. I was just going to say, have mask. a nap. Yeah. Or I would just nap. be like, I'm going to have a nap. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to ask for help, but I think people do give it to you. It's hard to accept it. Mm. You know, we know it's hard to ask for help, but we think it's easy to accept it. If someone said to me right now, people have said to me, do you want, what is that I can take away from that? Oh, you can't do it. Only I know how to do it. It's my ego. Yeah. I know that. Sometimes we have to let go and know that someone else might not do it as well or as quickly as us. Who cares? It's but funny. we're retaining something by not doing it ourselves. So true. You know, it's so true. And even with my editing, well, even with my editing, I remember at first I thought, you know, it's taking me longer to train someone. Right. And I thought, 
there's just no point. And for so long, I didn't have an editor. And now I'm like, you know what? I don't care if the subtitle is not exactly right. That person will get one mistake wrong. The next time they'll learn better. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not doing it every week now. And I feel so not much better. Not sustainable. It's a 10 minute video. Yeah. I feel significantly better not having to do it every Saturday and waking up feeling, Good. oh, I've got to do it. And it's Turning not perfect. control. No. Who cares? Yeah. But, and what are that. you gaining? You know, what are you gaining so because much. of that? That's it. Mental clarity. Because sometimes we just need to let go, yeah. know that it might not be done exactly how we want it. But the important thing is, is that we're not doing it all. So that. we're saving something of ourselves. I love that. Thank you so much oh, for coming on. For it's been me. so grateful. And, you know, your book is out when? It's out on the 31st. How exciting. <gasps> so, so next week. Yeah. So when this is out, the link will be in the bio and people can buy it. Thank you very much. And they can raise themselves to be a happier mother. Yes. Perfect. Oh, Thank well, you so much. Thank you. Thanks.